To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Brand new podcast. So today I sit down with a couple of my friends from Onyx. Uh, Dylan, I'm just meeting for the first time, but we've become friends and kept in touch after the podcast. And then Zach, I've known for a while, but both these guys are just really knowledgeable public land hunters. And and they work for Onyx, so they've got a great understanding of, of Onyx and all its features and how us average guys can get the most out of their program. Uh, Brandon Mason also sits in on the conversation. So Brandon Mason works at Eastman's. We've become really good friends. He's got a lot of mule deer experience. He worked for the, the Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, he's got a biology degree. So just a, a great, knowledgeable guy. So us, you get us four together. This is during the expo. We just get talking mule deer and Onyx features. It's just a great conversation. So I really enjoyed it. I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. Real quick, I want to thank my sponsors. So I want to thank Onyx. Onyx has been a partner at Eastman's and a partner at Eastman's Elevated, the podcast, uh, for a while now. And I really appreciate their support, and I love their program. Uh, I use their program nonstop for scouting, for hunting. Um, I use it in real time. I, I don't even use a GPS anymore. I use my phone as my GPS uh, and we talk about some of the features in this podcast, but if you save your maps, you can use it even where you don't have service. Uh, I, I just heard, I just got the email a couple days ago that Onyx is 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 re, revamping their, their aerial imagery, so they're going back through and updating a lot of it, which which will be really handy to get the, the best image for the spot you're hunting. But it's just a, an absolute game changer for us hunters, and, and I love the program. And and I I really enjoy talking to the guys over there at Onyx. They 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 live, eat, sleep, and breathe hunting just like us guys do. And they're designing their program for us, so uh, it's just great. So make sure to give them some support if you haven't checked out their program. Check out Onyx. It'll get you ninety nine dollars. Will get you a subscription where you can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Uh, you can use it in the field. Uh, and that'll get you access to all 50 states, uh, private, public. Uh, on the private side of things, it'll give you the land ownership so you can contact the landowner. Um, gosh, aerial imagery, topography, um, it, it, it's just a, an absolute awesome program. So make sure to check them out on X Maps. I also want to thank Mountain Archery Fest. So Mountain Archery Fest is a 3D shoot, and they're putting on four big 3D shoots this year. Uh, they've got one at Lookout Pass in Mullen, Idaho. That's June 5th to the 7th. Eagle Point in Beaver, Utah, June 26th to June 28th. They've got one in Pajarto. Pajarto? Pajarto? Oh my gosh, I messed it up again. Wouldn't you know it? <laughs> Pajarto uh, Mountain Ski Area. That's in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And uh, the Purgatory Resort in Durango, Calif uh, Colorado. And so these 3D shoots, they take place on ski resorts. You're able to ride the chair up, uh, shoot your way down on these targets. And Mountain Archery Fest has also put together a course this year where they, they've done a reproduction of all 29 Pope and Young trophies. And they did a reproduction of them in a 3D target. And so you shoot this course, and then they actually have you shooting similar to the guy that shot that world record you know whether it was kneeling or standing but but these these reproductions how cool is it to go shoot at a pope and young world record uh so cool so they've they've got uh, it's a whole event it's a whole weekend you can you can sign up and get a discount let me pull up the promo here so uh, if you sign up you can put in elevate 15 that gets you 15 percent off and you'll receive uh, a free digital subscription to EBJ and EHJ for the first 2,000 people that register. Um, I think I'm going to try to make it over to the Idaho shoot. Uh, they, they're still planning to, to move forward with everything. I mean, it, it sounds like we're going to get through this deal, and by the time these dates come up, I think we'll 
will be shooting 3D targets, and there's just nothing better for your archery than shooting at 3D. So uh, make sure to check them out. Elevate your 3D experience with MAF. With that, man, um, we've been keep, I've been keeping busy over here uh, running that other podcast. I started that other podcast, Eastman's on the Fly. Um, real psyched about it. Uh, recording some great episodes. Been really into fly fishing lately. So, uh, well, been really into fly fishing for a long time, not just lately, but fishing a bunch lately. And um, gosh, we've got a great episode this week. Uh, I have on Dylan Ness. I'm going to get him on the hunting podcast as well. Uh, the guy's just an animal in the mountains and in the rivers, but he just, he hooks some giant brown trout. He's just, uh, and he knows streamers so well. So we go in-depth on streamers. It's a great conversation. So if you get a chance, go check it out. It's Eastman's On The Fly, the other podcast. Uh, you also get a subscription to the magazines. I've been writing a ton. I've got a good a uh, bear article that just came out in the EBJ, just starting to bear hunt now. Um, so fun to take my bow for a walk again. And uh, I got that, I got that Matthews just shooting that VXR uh, thing is ready to rock and roll. So I'm excited to to get, get after these bears and see if I can't find a good one and run an arrow through them. But what was I? Oh, but uh, uh, I just had a good bear article in the EBJ. I lost my train of thought there, but uh, both of these magazines are just awesome resource for a Western hunter, whether they're the staff articles or the subscriber articles are awesome. Uh, we also have our, our MRS members research section, uh, helps you learn all these, these states and, uh, what they have to offer as far as seasons and as far as hunting. So, uh, it's just awesome. You can get a subscription to both magazines for $49.99, get a free outdoor edge report replaceable blade knife just text elevated 220 to 22828 and uh, that'll get her done for you so all right well let's get into this podcast it's a great one with the onyx guys talking mule deer talking onyx eastman's elevated here we go all right well i'll get us started off we're here at the expo. I've got uh, our friends from Onyx here. So I've got um, Dylan and I've got Zach. I know Zach. We've hung out a time or two. And, yep. and Dylan, this is the first time we've met, I think. Yep. 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 Um, man, what an app you guys have built for me. That thing's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, glad to hear it. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate uh, your guys' support on the podcast. And um, and I really appreciate your app. Uh, just uh, scouting, hunting. It's just absolutely changed the way I hunt. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we've worked together for, what, 10 years now, I think, yep. on and off. Yep. And you guys have been one of our biggest partners since the beginning, back when we were doing the chips. And, I mean, at that point it was might have been Montana mapping, but probably 100 yeah. GPS maps yep. at that mm -hmm. point. Yep. I still have a bunch of those chips rolling around in my drawer somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have, yeah, all the little cases and a bunch of different chips with mm -hmm. the different logos. Unfortunately, we've rebranded a couple times, but now we're set with yeah. the Onyx. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's I've, not going anywhere. Well, And after I could use it on my phone, like uh, I just don't have a need for a GPS. I haven't pulled out my GPS for years now. Yeah. Just the phone works so good as a GPS, you know, and you – you know, you don't have to have service to see where you're at. Your GPS always works in your phone. And then just saving those maps like that is just so handy. Yeah. Well, the technology in these phones is incredible. And the screen, I mean, it's just you can get bigger screens. It's way more clarity that you can get on a Garmin, you, you know, GPS unit. And we're just able to give you a lot more features because of the technology in the phones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a supercomputer in all our pockets. We don't think about it much. Um but the way we handle those things, like if, when you smash a phone and you have to go get a new one and go spend $1,000, it makes you a little bit more careful with your phone. Those things are pretty fragile, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, your whole life's on them. I mean, you take for granted day to day what, you know, people say, I hear some older guys sometimes say, I don't need one of those fancy smartphones. I said the phone is the least impressive thing this device does. <laughs> yeah. This is not a phone. It yeah. does phone operations, too. But it's my weather station, it's my TV, it's my yep. GPS, it's, I mean, whatever, really, whatever you want, calculator, mm -hmm. everything. We, uh, you know? We've had a few people stop by the booth, you know, in previous years saying that same thing. You know, I don't need one of these smartphones technology these days. And then the next year, the year after, they stop by and they tell us that they sold their GPS because, <laughs> you know, they gave the app a try and it worked out perfect for them for a year. So now their GPS became a paperweight and they just, just rely <laughs> on the phone. So 
it's funny how that switches, you know, from year to year. Yeah, well, it's one less thing to worry about too, you know, and it's it's their high resolution cameras and and uh, uh, video cameras and everything. So you don't have to have if you're ounce, an ounce counter like I am, you don't have to have a GPS and your phone and a camera and 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 it's just yeah. one thing. Yeah, well, and for the folks that carry a camera and a GPS. They're still going to carry their phone. Right. Yeah, I've never exactly. heard anyone that's like, I'm going to leave my phone, but bring my GPS. Yep. <laughs> You're so going to bring it anyway, yeah. so you might as well just use that yep. device. Oh, it's so true. Well, and you guys just keep evolving, you know, that app. Um, I'm just so impressed, like, uh, the different overlays you guys have. Um, I've been using the, the sharing waypoints nonstop ever since you guys told me about it a couple of years ago. But it's great. Like I killed an elk this year and able to send a pin so my buddy can meet me to help me pack it out. Uh, so I love being able to share the waypoints. But you guys are always thinking you're trying to build the best interface for hunters out there. And I see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things like we, you know, working with you guys, you're always giving us feedback. And we're getting feedback from the booth. The people at the booth come by saying like, hey, I'd love if I could do this. And, you know, with us, we're really trying to just continually add value. And so, like, with sharing, we want to make sharing easier. We want to make it so you can do more of it. And so we'll have some things coming out in, you know, next this year and the next year that will definitely simplify it and make you able so you can share a lot more stuff easier and information so we can collaborate back and forth. And so it's one of those things that, for us, like, we always want to add new features. Mm -hmm. And the people we get it from are the people that are at this convention or the ones our customers using it or the people we work with. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, back in my uh, Game of Fish days for a little bit, I was uh, not a GIS specialist, but I worked in that section of the agency. And we built, a lot of people know in North Dakota, the, their plots program is pretty well known yep. for access. And so me and uh, a coworker of mine, uh, who's now one of the big wigs there? He stuck it out, and I didn't. You know, I, I wasn't tough enough to stick it out in the game of fish. But um, we w developed the plots guides, the mapping layers. We did all the GPS work, uh, the state wildlife management boundaries, and all that. But at that time, that was in the early 2000s, I think. It was not user friendly. You know, we had Trimble units, and we had um, the Arc GIS software, actually Arc Info, so it was more like DOS commands. Yep. And it was just, we started using it when it was just starting to interface with Windows more. And so I know what the other end is like when it's not user friendly. Yeah. And it is way user friendly now compared yeah. to then. I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, anybody can use it. There's no excuse really not to. Yeah, like even in the last four years, you know, Zach and I both have been with Onyx for, you know, four and a half years, creeping up on five. and, and from the time that I started, you know, we were really heavily in the chips, but even the download version to your Garmin GPS, yep. um, you know, to today where nine out of 10 people that stop by that have on X, it's solely relied on their phone. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so nice when we're traveling. Like, uh, all us guys like to go to different states. Zach, you like to go to uh, uh, Nebraska or North Dakota, North right? Dakota. I'd like to if I could <laughs> go to some point. It's we been a running joke with Brandon and I about, like, each year. It's like, this is the year I'm going to get it. And I am over the last four. I went to school out there, so I was technically I got a resident there. So, I, you know, it was like 20 bucks for a either species archery tag, and I loved it. I was playing football, but I'd hunt in between. You could hunt early and late. And then as soon as I came back to Montana, I was like, I'm going to put in for this every year. And it got a little popular, and I didn't draw. And it was like 75% chance. And each year it's gotten worse. And now I think the lady at Game of Fish, she's tired of me because I'm like, hey, <laughs> I know you're messing up because it's been four straight years. But I got two bonus points. Like, I bet, it, you know, this year. You're going to draw it this year. Hopefully I get it, but we'll see. Yeah, I you, never would have thought I wouldn't have drawn four straight years. Yeah, usually I think the most that I've gone since I moved away from there as a non-resident now is three years. Yeah. And even that seemed like the end of the world to me. Yeah. So I grew up, you know, bow hunting there. But, um, yeah, the word's gotten out. It's a little more popular. It so it's getting harder to draw. Plus, the deer, no, the deer numbers aren't what they used to be. No, and we had so, a couple tough winners there. Yeah, a couple tough winners. And it's just, uh, you know, it's part of the, the – um, riddle of what's going on with mule deer i think that we're all trying to solve yeah and uh yeah who knows i hope it's just a uh i think some of these keystone species like sage grouse uh pronghorn mule deer sharp tail grouse uh, a lot of the central the western keystone species we know like rough grouse are a cyclical species on a 10-year cycle ups and downs yep and I really, the longer, like when I used to be in wildlife management, now even just paying attention to more things with more people that we get to talk to through Eastman's. 
in more states I get to hunt, more provinces I get to hunt in, and seeing the ups and downs. And even with caribou, you know, what's going on right now in Canada, they can't figure out why their numbers are going down so fast. And uh, I think that it's cyclical, but giant cycles. I don't think it's the rough grouse 10-year cycles. And in our human brains, we love seeing those shorter cycles because in our mm-hmm. lifetime we see several of them. I think, like, th- there's been this big sage-grouse initiative in, in managing for sage-grouse, which is great. I'm glad they're doing that But because the numbers were at almost you know record lows. And uh, there's uh, talk of maybe listing them as threatened and endangered species. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's this initiative and people are taking credit for it. We established these initiatives and we worked with these agencies and now the sage grouse are back. I'm like, you cannot manage long-term sagebrush populations in five years, okay? Yeah. That's not happening. So they came back for some reason. And I don't think it's what humans did. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I think it's giant fluctuations. I really do. And I hope that that's just what mule deer are doing. But maybe we just haven't, we don't know how long those fluctuations are. I hope you're right. I hope so. Yeah. I, I could be wrong, right. but I hope yeah, I'm it's, right. Well, we all love to hunt mule deer so much, you know. We just want to see them do well as a species. But they're such a, you know, for as hardy as they are in all the different environments and habitats they can thrive in, uh, the species is susceptible, you know, yeah. to you know, losing winter range to migration. So we're just learning more and more how to manage them. And so hopefully yep. we can put those practices into place. Funny on those sage grouse. So I've seen some of the things that they've done. And, um, you know, I'm not a biologist or I don't understand what they're doing or why, but they spent millions of dollars out on this public land that I hunt just cutting down trees. Yeah. And it's almost like they're managing the sage grouse to the detriment of the mule deer sometimes. Yeah. Like they chased all the mule deer out of this area I like to hunt because they went in there with chainsaws and just cut all those trees down. Now, I don't understand it. I've tried to read into it a little mm-hmm. bit. But, um, yeah, I just hope we're not doing it to the detriment of another species, you know. Yeah, I know. That's the tricky thing is that there's so many ripple effects to everything in wildlife management. Yeah. It's almost really impossible to figure. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the logic there is what they call parasitism on nests, you know, in, in young birds. So they don't want birds of prey and to have better perches to prey uh, on the birds, oh, okay. right? Yeah, that so that's sense. the thought process of getting rid of the trees on the prairie or in the sagebrush. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're at a point, even w- back in my wildlife management days in North Dakota, there's a lot of focus on pheasants mm-hmm. because it's a huge moneymaker. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they're non-native. And at the same time, we would say we need to get rid of the trees on the prairie because of the parasitism on, uh, like, sharp-tail uh, grouse nesting and other songbirds and everything, which I, I understand that. I think some areas that may be relevant, but the state's budget largely comes from pheasant hunters, non-resident pheasant hunters, and pheasants need trees. So how far are we going to take this thing? You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we can't go back to the way it was pre-European times so yeah. mm-hmm. let's manage it the best we can now because mm-hmm. this is what we know is now and I don't know that's my two yeah. cents but, yeah. that, but that North Dakota hunt my point was is that that <laughs> Onyx there's a subscription that um, and 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 once you get the subscription $99 for one year you can look at all 50 states yep you know which is really nice it allows us to travel and what it allows me to do is I don't always hunt you know 10 different states a season or whatever but I'm I'm scouting and applying in all these different states. And yeah. so it allows me, like right now during application season, to just fly over those units. And, and you guys have done such a good job of creating the unit boundaries so you always know you're in the right unit, the public-private, you know, the stuff that everybody knows about. But it's just so nice to be able to have access to all the states when you're doing it. And I actually used your guys' app in New Zealand, too. It kept me safe as a GPS there. Now, mm-hmm. I didn't have any maps yet yeah. for New Zealand. I'm still waiting on on that one yeah. but um, yeah. but I just I use it everywhere I go I use it in Hawaii I use, you know it's it's almost a safety issue now too having a GPS marking your truck I never used to do that when I was young I'm surprised I made it as long <laughs> as I did but um Man, it's just an awesome app. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, even when I'm just, like, driving like driving down here, oh, yeah. we were just looking, and we're like, that's some pretty good-looking habitat. I haven't hunted Utah, but it's like pull it up on the app, and it's like take a little mental note, like, hey, that, mm-hmm. you know, there's some public land. That looks like a good access point. There's some deer right there wintering. Like, this is pretty cool, and being able to just mark it up. So it's nice, you know, every time I'm going on a trip, I'm always checking out new areas. With Even within, you know, my home state of Montana, it might be an area I've never hunted. 
but we happen to drive by, and it's like, hey, I, maybe that's a place I want to check out, mm -hmm. pull the app up, you know, see what the what the ownership's like, find some access points, leave a mark, and I usually, like, color code it, so it's like yellow's my point of interest, but I don't have any other, you know, I haven't been boots on the ground or anything, so I just have a bunch of yellow waypoints because it's like eventually I want to go back and kind of figure this out and see what it is. Oh, that's a good way to do, to do it, is you're marking these waypoints of interest in a certain color-coded, so you have different colors on the app, but you'll color code it. It makes so much sense to me because... Once you put boots to ground, then you can start getting specific with your marking because I love that I can mark a glassing spot. I can mark yep. water. I can mark camp. I can mark. You guys have all these different icons that I can put on there, which builds me this hunt plan. Yeah. And when I first started out, I wasn't good at marking all these different spots, but now I mark about every spot I go to, every yep. spot of interest. But I like what you're saying with the scouting. How yeah. I can color code that and mark it all yellow, and that means I've never stepped foot in there. I haven't checked out any of these. And then once I go to marking glassing spots or feeding spots, I'll start marking them in red, and then I'll know where I've been and where I've actually walked. It's not just a bunch of waypoints on yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's what's nice is, you know, we have, what do we have, like 10 different colors and mm -hmm. like 50-some different icons. But for me, like... I'll split my species into different colors. I'll use the different icon types. And yellow just happens to be my, like, I'm interested in it, but I don't have any other contacts from there. And so I drop a lot of those. But once I get there, you know, because there's some areas where I might, in that district, I might be mule deer hunting and elk hunting. So I'll have different icons and different colors. So then I can quickly get a quick snapshot and, you know, blue's my elk, white's mule deer, pull that up and be able to see it. And then once I'm, like, scouting and, like, Let's say there's a wallow or something like that. Then I can attach photos, notes, name it, whatever it is. Oh, so wait I can a go second. Back to it. Wait a second. Pictures and notes. I haven't got into this yet. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So we'll, so we'll take can, a step back here. Yeah, so, so when I mark a waypoint, you can do a bunch of stuff. You okay. can name it. We yep. can put whatever label we want. Then I can change the color. I can change the waypoint icon type. But then also you, there's a little notes, and I can add different notes on there. And so if I were to share that to you, then you have that information, whether it's like, Here's a wallow, sit on this side for this wind, whatever. Um, but then I can also take a photo and add it to it. And so some folks, you know, they like to see, um, you know, maybe each year with the wallow try to see how it changes or something like oh, a different watering hole or a trail and be able to have, like, year after year data. And, like, some folks like to attach their trail cameras and put some photos there so you can actually see the different animals going through from different time periods so you can keep an inventory of these different areas. Man. So that's why I love to have you on the podcast, Zach. You're always educating me on this app <laughs> and different features of it. Um, yeah, because like, a lot of it is using the app, but a lot of it is like having a plan for your waypoints and how you're going to mark it. Otherwise, it gets congested. So I really like what you're saying. And then attaching pictures to it, um, that's on another level entirely. And, and I... I really enjoy, like I have a lot of guys that come hunt with me or come stay with me and sometimes I can't get off work or I can't go with them or maybe they're two, three days on their own. But when they get at the house, I can have them lined out on a hunt on OnX within an hour in a cold beer. Like they've got a good plan to go hunt for three days Yeah. where I, I could never do that off a map, off of any other, you know, app out there. And so that's what I really like about it is, you know, you can just share it and show it to your buddies, share information. But, yeah, like I got these guys that come hunt with me from Hawaii every year. And so, you know, when they stay with me, maybe a few days before I can get out with them. But, yeah, I build them an entire hunt plan, you know, with those different icons and things. And then they go in there and they get into some dang good elk hunting, you yeah. know. It's, it's like, yeah, gosh, absolutely. if I would have known it was that good, I would have been with you guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, no, it's just really cool what you can do with the app. So along those same lines, guys. What are some of the features that I'm not using that I should know about or some of the features that you guys are using uh, that you really like that, that maybe our audience doesn't know about? So that's, uh, we get that question all the time, especially at the booth, you know. Guys will come up and they're like, you know, teach me what I don't know. You know, I use it for this, this, and this, but I want to, I know I'm underutilizing this, this app, you know, teach me. So that's something we're going to dive into really heavily this year um, on the education standpoint and try and build like an all-encompassing um, you know, tutorial, university, whatever you want to call it. But if you go through this system start to finish, you're going to be, you know, 100% up to date with what we have to offer. Um, but, you know, for me personally, the sharing waypoints, you touched on that earlier, uh, that one's been huge. And not only for sharing spots, like meetup spots, but yeah. just for safety too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm going out hunting by myself, you know, I'll share a waypoint to a couple people of, hey, you know, I plan on being in this area. And if I, if I, you know, there's somebody, say there's somebody in that spot, here's a backup area. 
So, um, you know, sharing the waypoints and then a couple of years ago um, was blessed and, and shot a cow right before dark and uh, shared a waypoint to Zach in the dark. He was able to walk, you know, right up and help us pack out. So, yeah, that one's been kind of on the top of my list for the last couple of years. Man. Yeah, and another one, you know, and I know you're using this and you know it, but our number one question is it doesn't work without service, you know, and so they'll go hunt mm -hmm. out wherever and they don't save the map. And so all you have to do, you know, just simplify it is essentially you're taking a picture of that information, putting it on there, and then you're using GPS in your phone to actually see your current location, mark waypoints, and do everything there. And I know that's not one to help you necessarily, but it is by far our number one question because we have so many folks who love it, but then as soon as they get in and out of service, the data starts disappearing, and that's because you have to actually save it. And then you can flip your phone on airplane, and you'll save your battery. That, I think that's a big one too is mm -hmm. like a lot of folks will use it offline, but they'll keep their phone on service so they can get texts or whatever. But the number one battery drainer for cell phones is when it's searching for service. So when you're in that yep. like one X or one bar, that's when it's really draining. So flipping your phone on airplane, closing out your background apps, and just, you know, maybe even dimming your screen. I went, this year I went backpacking in Colorado, and I went four days before I had to charge. Yeah, just you, using airplane mode. Yep, if you turn it to airplane mode, it's amazing how long that lasts. That's a great tip. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one there. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah, you... Um, there's, your uh, phone does you no good if it's dead. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can't find where you're going. Yeah. So, yeah, you definitely um, have to be cognizant of that battery life. That's a good one to shut it off so it's uh, not searching for a signal or searching for data or you don't have to keep downloading the data every time you look at it or yeah. surf around. Yeah. I like that. And and so saving those maps, yeah, that's – we. Everybody just has to get in the practice of it. If you're going hunting somewhere, you just save the maps of where you're hunting. And I save, a, so you have three different levels and yep. three different levels of uh, detail that you can get when you save these maps. Yep. So I save a big overall one that'll show me the roads, highways, a big overall grand picture. But then you really have to go in and, and save those 10 mile pieces. Yep. That gives you good definition. I can hunt off the 10 mile pieces. But then if I'm really hiking in or really focusing on an area, those five miles, just the definition and the topography and the satellite imagery, it yep. makes a huge difference. And you're right, then you get to use it without wasting your battery. Just yeah. airplane mode, and you just have it there. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, so with the different zoom levels, yeah, as you said, the 150 by 150, that's good if you want to see the boundaries and roads. But the base maps are going to be, you know, that's where you're zoomed out the furthest. The fives and tens, that's where if you need to see that clarity on the aerial or you really want to dive into those topo lines and be able to see that, that's really what you're getting with there. So I always save a couple 150s, especially like, you know, antelope hunting, for example, where you're covering a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. I save a couple chunks of 150s, and if we're hunting an area, then I'll save a couple tens in there. But really the biggest thing is it's like before every hunt, you're going to get your gear together. You're going to get your clothes together. All you have to do is just go in. Click the save button. If you're on Wi-Fi, it takes 30 seconds to a couple minutes, and you'll have it saved. And you can do that, leave, and go get your stuff ready and have another one saving. Yeah. I just need to – we all need to get in the habit. I'm in a good habit of doing it, and I'm sure you guys are too. But there's nothing worse than – going there thinking you're going to have service and then it's intermittent yeah. or even sometimes like big cities you just can't oh, get yeah. any data on your phone just because it's so congested yeah and so to save those maps and just to have them yeah then you're good to go and i've noticed too i like to do that that five mile detail really where i'm hunting and i i found a spot this year that was um i'd seen elk back in there in this spot and uh, I looked at it with the 10 mile or whatever, and it, oh, it's checkerboarded. I can't get through there. And I kept going. And, um, and, and then for some reason, I, I went out, I, I downloaded a five mile of where these elk were at or in that unit, trying to figure out how I could get to them. And I saw a little overlap in the corners of the state land, and there was like an overlap. I don't know how many feet it was, like maybe 20 feet or something. And there was an overlap where I could cross through the corner right yeah. there. Nobody was in there hunting, and it was epic elk hunting, and I found it all because of your app and saving that map. Yeah. One, well, I mean, that's the name of the game. If you're, you know, we're all trying to get away from hunters. Mm -hmm. And so there's like kind of two schools of thought. One is sweat equity. I'm going to dive in as far as I can and hike in as deep to get away. But the other one that, you know, we, Dylan and I have done quite a bit, especially, you know, when we're hunting like checkerboarded areas or whatnot, it's finding these like overlooked places or tough yep. to access places, yep. whether right. it's a sliver. Or it's just a state section that people drive by, might glass it quick, but they don't actually go to check the coolie out. And so, you know, looking for those, 
it's great because you and you'll find some great hunting because generally those are you know there's private around there where those animals kind of have a refuge and you don't get a lot of people that'll actually go check those out because they think it's such a small area that it's not going to hold game and i think that's you know one of the most i don't want to give away too much secrets but <laughs> it's people just look past them you look at it and you're like no there's nothing there they'll glass it quick and they'll move on yep. or they might not even look at it at all you're spot on yeah you hit the nail on the head yeah there's different ways to get away from the hunting pressure and find quality animals and one of them is doing your your true diligence on the app on those sleeper spots and sometimes like you say it can be one state land piece off a highway yeah mm-hmm. and there's nobody hunting it everybody drives by it and there could be you know bucks or bulls living right in that canyon or coulee like you described um yeah that's just as important as putting in more effort than the next guy is more research or yeah. more knowledge than the next guy being craftier with your app and 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 saving your maps and and then studying up while you're there so yeah man you hit the nail on the head well and i mean it's not like we're giving away you know this isn't yes in some ways it's a secret but you still have to do the work yep you know what i mean and so like we get asked all the time it's like hey are we you know are you making it too easy and i disagree because i'm not telling you how to find these pieces it's just I, someone still has to go do it. Once you find those, you still have to go in and actually hunt. Like we're yep. not gonna like we're not giving you the animal. No, time and effort. Yeah, exactly. And the folks that put the time and effort, they'll find these spots and they'll get away from the hunters. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. there seems to be you know along that line of thought, there seems to be a lot of guys that I know anymore that you know a lot of us that are programmed get as far in the backcountry as you can because logically that makes sense that there would be fewer people there. But between all the guys that are now thinking that way. And anim- or guys with animals, like, you know, livestock, horses, whatever, to get further back in. And then you got the road hunters. And then there's almost this accidental refuge yeah. that's turned into in that two to five mile range mm-hmm. that so many guys are overlooking. And there's a lot of animals that are hanging out there. I know Scott Reekers has a friend that he has killed some hellaciously big mule deer, like a mile and a half off the road in the last, like, I think three huge bucks out of the last five years yeah. on general tags because everybody goes past them. Yep. And then he just kind of hovers in this mid zone, you know. That's my plan when I get older is yeah. to just get smarter, you <laughs> yeah. know, to glass better, more efficient, spend my time out. And a lot of times these accesses, like I'll use the app, Parking at the end of a road or at a trailhead is, is almost like one of the worst things you can do. Then you have to like almost get away from that trailhead to go find that remote country. But sometimes just like the road driving up to the trailhead, you just pull off where it kisses state land or kisses national forest and start hiking up. Yep. And pretty soon you're just in your own remote country. And I didn't have to hike 20 miles to get back there. You know, yeah. it's just amazing. Like the little tricks and little yep. secrets you use. And it, it's just, it's time and effort in the unit, time and effort on the app. But those spots are out there. Yep. Yeah, and the absolutely. animals want to be where they want to be. I mean, sometimes I, I get, I'm really guilty about thinking I can will them into the canyons I think they should be in. <laughs> <laughs> and if I hunt it enough, there will be something there. Uh-huh. And for some reason, there's just areas, draws, canyons, drainages, whatever, that always have animals, and there's ones that never have yep. animals. Yeah. I don't, it, you know, must be the soil types or the type of vegetation that's there, or the bedding cover, who knows, you know, it depends on the area. But um, I remember an old, old Eastman's video, a guy asked Mike, I think it was one of the hunt winners from back in the day, he asked Mike Eastman, so Mike, how do you, how do you determine where you're going to hunt? Do you determine where the deer are going to be, or do the deer do that? And Mike goes, uh, uh, well, I don't determine that. <laughs> the, the deer determine that. I just go to where they are. Yeah, so. we get a pretty good feel for where deer like or where mm-hmm. elk like. But really, bucks like where bucks like. Like you have yeah. to go in there, put in the groundwork to see if they're actually living in this spot that looks really good to you. Yeah. And and you know, if, like three out of four times there won't be any deer there. But then you hit that spot where the bucks like and they're hanging out. So yeah. you just keep looking for the right type of habitat, and then you got to put in the boot work and get in there and look at it, and see what it's holding in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's you know it's cool because it's like there's so many different ways to hunt mule deer. Like, you know, we were talking about North Dakota. North Dakota has badlands and then has rolling flats and then it has farmland. Mm -hmm. They can be everywhere. And then, you know, you get into Wyoming and you got, you're hunting them way up at 10,000 feet and then into Montana. There's so many different diverse ways. And I think it's just cool seeing that, you know, there's so many ways to skin a cat. But it's really once you find your way and you just keep going, it's just like you said, you're just checking boxes off. 
until eventually you kind of find the right mixture mm -hmm. and there happen to be some deer in there. And, that, and that's why I think some, you know, a lot of people you see that are really successful, especially now on social media, you see a lot of guys that are consistently doing it. And they're usually consistently doing it in the same type of terrain. You know, some guys are sagebrush badlands guys. Other guys are um, alpine guys. Other guys are mid-range guys. Yeah. Um, it, it, you kind of, it's like you solve a riddle in a certain habitat type because it makes sense in your brain. And I know guys that are unbelievable high country mountain hunters. You put them in the sagebrush and it's like kryptonite to Superman. <laughs> they can, they don't even know what to do. It's really funny. Yeah, that's interesting, Brandon. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. I, I built my niche as a high country guy and I'm really yeah. good you know, solving that riddle. But yeah, as I take it to sagebrush or now to like the desert down in the Sonoran Desert, I'm lost. I'm almost like starting over with the species that I've hunted my entire yeah. life. They just have different tendencies, act a little different. Like in Arizona, they don't live in the mountains or the foothills. They live in the big flats. Uh, they're, yep. they're these wide open flats and the coos live in the mountains, you know. And so these flats, you have to get some elevation. So they just have uh, different ways uh, uh, of thriving in those different habitats. And it's fun to solve all those puzzles. Mm -hmm. But you're right. We get good at one habitat. That's for sure. Yep, yep. Oh, Especially absolutely. in some of our honey holes. You know, some people will say, and it depends. I think it's more important a lot of times to scout more heavily in the high country because of just how vast that country mm -hmm. is. Then there's other spots where I hunt, whether it's in the Badlands or more sagebrushy lower country, that unless I'm trying to find a specific buck, you know, that you've seen in years past or whatever that you're hoping is there, I don't, I don't need to scout that to know if there's deer there because there's always mm -hmm. deer there mm -hmm. Yeah. In, 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 you know, a series of canyons or whatever. Yeah. Do, you, um, do you find, Brian, in the high country that bucks tend to, like if you find a couple bucks in a basin, generally those bucks are going to stick around the basin and i guess so i'm on the opposite side of the spectrum of you you know i grew up in eastern montana so i grew up you know glass and mule deer you know as zach said on farmland and then also you know we've got some pretty pretty steep canyons some pretty rough country as well um, but also just picking up part you know it might look flat and then you get a different vantage point and then all of a sudden there's like a little creek that runs up and there's you know 20 deer bedded up that so you know i'm I kind of grew up hunting deer that way and have yet to experience the, the high country. Mm -hmm. But, um, again, to what Brandon said there, you know, I know deer are going to be there. They're there every year. Uh, so you don't really have to scout it out. But I was curious on that high country stuff. You know, if you pick apart an area and, you know, year after year see bucks there, do they kind of stay put or are they moving? Yeah, absolutely, Dylan. Um, yeah, they do. You find them in the same areas. Yeah. Yeah, I can go to the same canyons and see the same bucks or the same numbers year after year. Um, the high country is a little different as they, um, you're hunting right at the end of their, their summertime habits. Mm -hmm. And so right, you're hunting right at that end where they're going to make a change. And they're going to make a change from the high country down into secondary living. But as far as that high country, they live there all summer long. Now, bucks can be different. Some bucks like to live in a really small area, you know, 100 yards by 200 yards, yeah. and they'll live there all summer long. Some bucks have more of a routine where they hit two or three drainages and they may return to this drainage every couple days they still know the country they're living in really well and kind of mm -hmm. have some habits up there living in the same places um, but they just move a little bit more but yes I find deer in the same drainages year after year they like the same spots and like the spot I hunted in in Wyoming that was really good this year my buddy harvested a really good buck with big backs and I had an epic hunt. I chased a bunch of big bucks but they had it was after the 5th of September. Mm -hmm. So they had moved down into secondary living, a little bit more in the timber, snow, weather, wind. They were just tough to kill yeah, in there. Yeah. Um, but that drainage, I found that five years ago while scouting. And I just knew I could return back in there, and it was the same as it's always been, just bucks ripping around everywhere in there. So they do like the same places for That's sure. Cool. Yeah, and it's, you know, in eastern Montana, like I said, growing up, we would, uh, you know, we'd consistently see bucks kind of in the same draws, same drainages. But if the does were three miles away, you know, come November, that buck was three yeah. miles away with those yeah. does. So the rut changes yeah, everything, it changes doesn't everything. it? Yeah. You know, we'd, we'd see a buck consistently day in, day out in this one spot, in this one little draw. And then we'd see him six miles, you know, in a different direction the next day. And it's like, what the heck? <laughs> they November. travel yeah. over there during yeah. the rut. But uh, don't you find that you, you see does in the same drainages? Yep. And yep. then the bucks will sometimes be in there, sometimes be gone. But you know they're going to come yep. back through. Absolutely. Their other bucks are going to come through. Yeah. Yep. I also find, 
Um, so, like, like out where you're talking about in these canyons, um, you find does in the same places, and bucks may move in or out. But there's some places where big bucks just never show up. They don't yep. get to grow up there. They don't get the age class. Whatever the case is, there may be some does in there. So you almost got to find the right group of does or the right area where those big bucks then frequent through. Do you guys find that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in Montana, you know, we our season's so long and we get to hunt in the general with a rifle, mm -hmm. which is a blessing and a curse. Right. You know, you look at Wyoming, Idaho, and the neighboring states, their trophy potential just seems much better. And Montana, you can get some, you know, great bucks. And there is some great trophy potential, but being able to hunt from, what is it, sec third week of October all the way through Thanksgiving weekend and specifically hunting them in the rut. With a rifle. Is, yeah, with yep. a rifle. It just really takes a toll on them. And I agree because I think there's areas where those does might frequent, and I think those bucks that are coming – that are easy to access, they just get picked off early. Yeah. And I think the ones that are back in the rugged stuff that it, maybe it's look past, maybe it's on private, maybe it's in the most rugged stuff in the world, they're the ones where the big bucks might be hiding, you know, before that, and they kind of sneak out and then can get away and actually, yeah. you know, have some a sanctuary, essentially. To You're right. Again, to Zach's point earlier of finding those, like, little – pieces that you know it's not a giant piece of public but it might be like a half section by a quarter section you know those little chunks of public land that are next to those private and i think that's where you find a lot of those bucks yep i think you guys are spot on yeah yep um well and it like you say there's so much pressure that that uh, uh montana is a little unique in that that we do have the general rifle season during the rut and so everybody thinks that these bucks throw caution in the wind during the rut. And they do. They get a little silly. They're made to procreate. They're chasing bucks. But I think the big bucks, they have rutting grounds that they go to year after year. That's how they grow to be five, six years old. They're, just, they're not willy-nilly just walking across public land everywhere. No, yeah. They've got their mm -hmm. rutting grounds where they know does hold, and then they go rut through there. And if it's remote enough, then they can get the age behind them, and then that's where you find the big ones. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I agree completely. Yeah, it's a fun place to hunt out there, yeah, isn't it? it's a blast. And, you know, it's very checkerboardy. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, a lot of checkerboard and small parcels, and there's not very many fence lines out there. No. Uh, not a lot of it's marked private or public. So You can't hunt it without Onyx. No, there's no <laughs> way. And, you know, growing up, I, I well before I worked, started working for Onyx, you know, I was using it and, um, you know, me and my dad would go hunt these little sections that, like I said, it's like a quarter section by a half section, but then it gets you into maybe two or three sections. Exactly. And uh, there's no fence line. So without on X and without knowing exactly where you're at on that map, you know, it just would be too risky. Um, I used to be so lost out there. Yeah. So, like, uh, I, I must be just a little bit older than you, but I, I started with maps and compasses out there and marking roadway, like, Oh, my God, the work I had to put in to find a spot out there. You know, there was a lot of deer on those little parcels and things. Yeah. But, oh, my gosh. And you, it had to be big enough where you had the confidence to know that exactly. you were in there. So, like you say, these quarter-mile slots that then open up into more public ground, mm -hmm. like, like you couldn't even navigate back in there or feel confident that you were on the right ground. So, yeah, no, on, Onyx has just changed the game, and it makes hunting so much more enjoyable, too, like knowing where you're at, knowing you're in the right, knowing you can hunt hard. Yeah, and so Zach and I um, pretty much – there was like uh, four or five of us that went out on a deer hunt this year. Oh, good it? for you guys. And uh, A whole Onyx team? Yeah. 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 Oh, and, right uh, on. It was awesome. We were checking out new country, um, and a lot of that was just, just like that. You know, no fence lines where, where I shot my buck. And, uh, you know, we were able to use the app and go right in there on a little little sliver of public. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, there, it's just an area that without the app, there's no way that we would have gone. Mm -hmm. You know, it just no fence lines it's like well I, I think we're good but you know it's, it's not a big section mm -hmm. so yeah it's uh it was extremely well, helpful it's huge peace of mind you know from a legality standpoint and then you know you can get into cool areas for better hunting but it just i think it creates better sportsmen yeah you know you, you you're not guessing and you're not and some guys are gonna take that gamble and guess even if they don't know which we shouldn't be doing but yeah. now really we have no excuse for not knowing where we are which i would think from a enforcement and trespassing and all that standpoint if i was a rancher i guess i would be pretty happy with this because i would know i have more peace of mind that people people wouldn't uh wouldn't be trespassing as much on my land because they know for sure where they are especially where it's intermingled like that because mm -hmm. there's so much land out west that is either landlocked or 
we think is landlocked, but now the secret's kind of out to where you can, you know for sure what you can get to, and you know for sure what you can't. Yeah. And it's yeah. just easier. No, absolutely. And we get, you know, we get a lot of game wardens and landowners who write in. They're like, you know, saying like, hey, thank you because like a game warden, for example, we've had plenty where someone's trespassing or whatever. And the first thing they ask them is, do you have on X? And like, you know, we work with folks in Wyoming, Game sure. of Fish. And same thing with the landowners is like they, if they have their boundaries marked or whatever, let's say they're leasing cattle, they always appreciate if folks know exactly what is being leased and what's their land and mm -hmm. what, you know, you can access there. And I think that's the biggest thing that we love hearing the hunting stories and all the, you know, success and stuff. But the biggest thing we love is when people come and tell us and they're like, I'm able to hunt confidently and know where I'm at and I don't have to worry. And like you were just talking, Brian, about how you had to put all this effort in with the paper map and it can be done for sure. Mm -hmm. Like people can use paper maps, but think of how much time you're putting in trying to triangulate where you're at according to this road and that creek and that ridge and this topo line and i think i'm right here i have like 100 yards to the border there instead you can just look down quickly and just be like yep you know that's exactly yellow. where I'm you're on at BLM. Oh, like, it's so I easy keep going and you know that's our thing is like we want you know we always like internally like to say that it's like it's like 10 years of knowledge go like let's say i'm going to a brand new spot essentially you're getting like 10 years of knowledge in like 10 minutes just mm -hmm. looking at the map because in the past like you've had to walk the fence lines and walk these ridges and try to figure out where you're at and you'll start to kind of build it like okay i know that's private over there i'm good to my right well here you can just look at it and you're like okay i know i can go all the way here because i can look down and see my location on there and so you can go hunt a brand new area and essentially just be confident that you know exactly where you can and cannot hunt in minutes that's yeah. a great way to describe it. Ten years worth of knowledge by just having the app yeah. for the $99 a year for all the states. Or what's a, a per state? Single if, state will be $29.99. Man, to, to get 10 years worth of knowledge, what a deal for that price. Yeah. Um, so, so back to your guys' hunt this year when you guys uh, had five of you that went out there. Another trick that I find when I'm out there hunting, so it's vast country out there. There may be 500 square miles. And so... You have to use your vehicle to be able to access different different parts of the, the unit. And there's not deer throughout the entire unit or the entire square miles there. you got to find, like, the pockets of them. But I find that um, deer that I can see from a roadway, from my binos and my scope, everybody knows how to put a scope out a window nowadays. Everybody knows how to put their binos out. It's almost like if I can just park and walk I mean, even if it's only 100 yards or walk a couple hundred yards or just to a little vantage point, it unlocks so many deer that you don't see from the roadway. Absolutely. Just that yeah. little bit of effort. And so, like, even if I won't glass deer from the road, like, I'll just see a vantage point in some public ground, and I can see it right on my app. I can see the topo lines. I can see the high point, and I can, I can put myself on that high point on the screen and see, gosh, I'm going to have a really good vantage point from there, like, well, maybe I take the 10 minutes and hike up there and see what I see. And I can't tell you how many times I turn up deer and turn up bucks doing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I This year, actually, my uh, – so on this same hunt, we had our kind of company, our our department went on this hunt, and we ended up shooting a couple deer. And I always hunt kind of that last week of the season in Montana with my family. And my dad was up same general area with my, my uncles, and he would shot a buck the day before. And so now I was going to go hunt with him. And – we were just driving through, and he's going to show me where it was. And this is an area they've hunted for a while, but it was the same thing. You drive around, and it's a small piece. There's some private down low, and we knew that these deer were rutting down in the private. Well, what happened is that buck took a hot doe, and he pushed her off onto the public, trying to get away from the rest of the bucks. And we did not even plan on hunting this. We were just driving through, and we parked, and there's this one overlook that, you know, we were like, all right, let's just walk out and see. And we happened to walk out, and I see a little tiny white-tailed buck come flying out and then I see my deer right behind him, and he's chasing him off. And I look, I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's a pretty nice white-tailed buck. He was heavy and, you know, big body and whatnot. So I'm like, I want to, let's go get a better look. And so we ended up just stocking up, my dad and I, and we got 96 yards, and I saw him. I was like, that's a good buck. And I ended <laughs> up shooting him, like, that morning, didn't plan on hunting that area. And he did the same thing. It was a couple sections of public that people drive around the top, and they think they can see in there. We walked 150 yards luckily happened to see him chase that deer out but then was able to stalk in and i think i shot him like 300 yards from the private 
down. They were just up the canyon a little bit because he just took that doe and pushed her away from the rest of the bucks that were down on the private. But I didn't, you know, it was the perfect example of, like, we didn't expect to really, like, we weren't going to hunt that. We were just looking at it. We could have just glassed from the pickup. We wouldn't have saw him, and we would have moved on. Happened to be, you know, it was my best whitetail buck to date that I shot just because we walked out, checked it out, and it was a section that people typically just drive right by. Hmm. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly uh, what I run into as well. And, like, you were talking the deer down in the bottoms. A lot of times you go by those deer in the bottoms, and there might be a small buck out there, maybe no bucks or anything. A lot of times those bucks are just up in those canyons above that private. A lot of those things are coming down to rut those does at night yeah. or mm-hmm. coming through and using those bottoms at night. So I think it always pays to hunt those canyons and coolies that sit above fields and private up and through there where you see deer, even if you haven't seen a shooter buck. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And during the rut, you know, it's always like the rut's such a cool time to hunt. You know, it of course, it does take the trophy potential down, but... Man, you see a lot of deer. You mm-hmm. know, you're just at that point you're hunting does. You're just looking for does, and then you're waiting to see what the buck is that's with them. So it's it's definitely fun to do. Yeah, uh, no, it makes it fun to chase those things around. Um, yeah, I think all of us love to hunt mule deer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they just take us to some some cool places and cool country. And like you say, during the rut is a, a special experience that everybody needs to try at least once in their life. Yeah, it is action, isn't it? Is. it? It's crazy. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I mean, it's for one, it, the weather, it can be bad, but mm-hmm. usually in mid to late November, it's not too bad. And so you can hunt all day long and there's just deer moving like crazy. Mm-hmm. So you just have the opportunity to see a lot of different bucks. And it's fun to watch them doing what they do. It's yeah. just, you, you know, not a lot of people really get to see that anymore. Yeah. And because hunting season structures have changed drastically and a lot of people don't go out to just observe wildlife just to do that. And it's fun to see. And we, we had a, there's very few late season opportunities for mule deer in Wyoming anymore, but there's still a couple of units. And it was, it was neat. We had a, uh, some private land that we were just going to go sh- harvest some does off of on our general tags, my son and I. And um, the night before we were going to go out there, the, the rancher called. He said, You're, are you coming out here to, to, to shoot some does? I said, well, we're planning on it. I'm hoping I can get out of work tomorrow and everything. And uh, he said, well, you better get here because a, a nice buck has moved in and he's chasing these does around and, and people have kind of figured out he's here. And I said, okay, we'll make sure we get out there. And it was so neat to have, I mean, he was 120 yards away probably. And to have my son get to watch him do what he does, you know, lip curling. And, and he wasn't chasing them around necessarily, but he was definitely interested and they weren't running around too much. They're feeding. Yeah. And... I grew up watching that, yeah. and I didn't know if he'd get a chance to see that anymore, and he did. And it was we watched that buck for, it seemed like two hours. It was probably 20 minutes but because <laughs> he was trying to. He had buck fever so bad he's only 14, and he's like, Dad, I can't stay down. Daddy, just shoot him down. I can't, I can't do it. I'm like, just relax. It's going to be fine. And uh, he ended up taking him, but it was, it was cool to have him watch what they do. Yeah. Because you just don't get to see that too much anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That was a nice buck. You know the the skills that you did well there, Brandon and, and Zach, from your story, like um, the the other crucial piece to this puzzle is being able, like your ridgeline assault, to be able to locate these deer. It's so easy, and I think we were talking before the podcast, maybe North Dakota, and Brandon, you were saying as soon as you let your guard down, you jump up that giant 30-inch buck. But you have to be so good as you're walking through country that anytime you're exposing new country to just be panning through it with your binos, you have to see those deer before they see you. And that's with a rifle, with a bow, with any of it. So you have to get really good, like I call it the ridgeline assault, like coming over the top of ridgelines. Where I've made mistakes in the past... It's like I'll see this vantage point that's right on the lip, and so I'll walk and then I'll, I'll hurry up to that lip so I can sit down and glass, and through those last few steps to get to the ridge line, I get picked out by a big buck that's yep. sitting right in there. Yeah. So you really have to, like, take a step, pan it with your binos, the exposed country, another step, pan with your binos before you get to the lip. Yep. But that is a crucial skill for hunting anything out west. Yep, and you think about it, these guys, I mean, these guys, these animals, they live there all of the time. And so they're not used to seeing some tall, uh, two-legged creature <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden just come walking over the ridge. That's not normal. Yeah. And so when we do that, it's not just 
that the obvious that we're skylining ourselves or we should have been more cautious. But you think of it, if something out of the ordinary, if all of a sudden I walk into my house after work one night and I'm getting ready to eat dinner with my family and there's a elephant in my living room, that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. There's something wrong here. And so that's their living room. They know what's supposed to be there. And all of a sudden you come strolling over the hill, you know, and I think we just get all so impatient and you just can't wait to get to that spot that you yeah. think is going to be the magic spot. So that, like you said, just creeping up over little by little. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. what's that? I think uh, Mike Eastman used to call it in his old mule deer books, glassing with the grain of the terrain. So basically glassing what's in front of you first then working out to the you know the the mid-range vantage points and then the far stuff because a lot of times we just think you can't wait to you know to scope out what's in that next basin and there's a buck watching you scope out the next basin that's right, 100 yards <laughs> below you yeah so it's tempting to do well i'm thinking i mean it's always so easy blaze camel you know whatever they're wearing like if someone if you see a hunter on a ridge line oh, skyline you can see it instantly it doesn't matter how far you are so those animals know. And so, like, that's the big thing is, I think, whatever country you're in, but especially, like, this break country and stuff like that, it would be, like, a deep coulee or whatever that you're looking down into. And I think I always try to find a tree, a shrub, something that I can sneak to and then circle around so I have some sort of backdrop mm -hmm. and then take a seat so it just breaks it up. That's or the other thing is sometimes just crawling up on your knees and just peering over, looking close first, then, you know, making sure you check the boxes before you jump over. Because I think so many times, I mean, everyone has a story where you come over the top and all of a sudden there goes a buck and it's like, well, yep. I could have had him. He wouldn't have known I was there. Oh, I know. But it kills it. me. Yeah, when you ruin an opportunity like that. That's a really good tip with the, the brush in the trees. I do that as well, but I hadn't thought about that. Or um, Like it does just break up your outline. And yeah. deer, you know, they definitely pick you up on skylines, but all animals – they, they tend to pick up movement. The mm -hmm. same as our eyes do. Yep. Anytime anything moves, you pick it up. But if you're holding still, I mean, I hunt them with my bow and blaze orange and kill a buck every single year. Yeah. Like, it's not the blaze orange that they see. It's the movement, you yeah, know. Absolutely. So you got to keep that movement to a minimum. So when you're on a ridge, you do, like like you said, uh, hunters stand out. They stick out like a sore thumb or or what's your saying, Brandon? <laughs> I don't know if that's repeatable. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not my, it's not my saying. It's uh, uh, Todd, our managing editor. He's got an expression that I'm sure he didn't invent it, but he says it all the time. And, yeah, I, I can't repeat it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like trying to add out of you on, but, <laughs> yeah, um, but, yeah, they are really fun to hunt. But, guys, I just really appreciate the support on the podcast. Like, um, let's just go around real quick and closing thoughts, anything you want to add, uh, Onyx, any tips, um, go ahead, Dylan, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so I guess my closing thoughts, um, I can't wait till next deer season now. Yeah. I'm already <laughs> itching, so when we get back to the office, probably start scouting out some new areas. I think we'll probably end up doing a similar hunt with, like, our department. Uh, we tend, this will be the third year we'll do it, and one of the things is we want to go somewhere new every year that none of us really have, you know, dove into. So a lot of that requires, you know, scouting out new areas and marking a lot of waypoints, and finding those areas where you got to, you know, hike up off the road to get a vantage point, et cetera. So, um, well, when I get back in the office, going to start scouting out. It's a long time from now, but getting <laughs> pretty excited. Yeah, it's a year-long pursuit. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, and we're just explorers by nature. It's fun to go in new country and explore it or yep. learn it because you never know what you're going to quite turn up. And yeah. there's good spots all throughout the West and really good deer throughout the West, you know? So we just got to keep exploring those new areas and we never, you never know what you're going to turn yeah. up. Yeah. There's a lot of adventure out there and save some new maps and check out some new country. Man. Awesome. Closing thoughts, Zach. Going to draw that North Dakota tag this year. Huh? <laughs> that, <that's laughs> I'm going to put yeah. in for that tag this year just to hurt Zach's odds <laughs> at this point. Just yeah. one, one more person applying. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, yeah, well, if I don't draw it, honestly, I might just be done putting it. Because I know it's not going to happen at that point. It's fixed. It's yeah, all fixed. It's all fixed. My name's blacklisted. Like, I know I'm not drawing it. But, no, I mean, I think I with for mine is, like, think about where the easy places to get or the places that, you know, you were talking about, like, Brandon, with areas that it's like there should be animals here, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people hunt the country instead of the animal. And mm. also – if you're hunting this fantastic looking country that's not that hard to get to or whatever, there's other people that are probably hunting that same country. And so I think my thing is like 
think of areas that hunters aren't going to get to, and I guarantee you have a better chance of finding animals because they're trying to get away from them. So it might not be the best-looking place, but if they're going to be left alone, you're more often than not you're going to have a better chance of finding animals. What a great tip. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're spot on. It's There's still great hunting out there. It's just the new age of hunting, you yeah. know, where you have to find those, those you know, less popular spots where those deer can grow up and get old. That's a great tip. Brandon, closing thoughts? Oh, kind of going along with that, I think, just not outthinking myself. You know, like I said, I try to, one of my downfalls is I try to will deer, especially deer, to be in an area. And I'm terrible about this in Wyoming because um, I love hunting the high country. Yeah. And I want to kill a giant, not just a high country buck, but I mean a true giant up there someday that very few people really do and i you know we all know enough about elk behavior and deer behavior that if you're into the elk when you're hunting high country mule deer move (laughs) (laughs) and i'm i I, i'm i'm i know that you know uh, logically i know that but i just have to remember that man if you're covered up in elk and you pack into an area pack out and go somewhere else or go to the next basin or or something different if you're if you're checking a new spot because i am just terrible about oh i'm committed you know i'm in here so i guess i there better be a buck that turns up under i'm looking for the needle in the haystack yeah and uh i haven't found it yet (laughs) so just not out thinking myself and you know just working smarter and not harder man it's awesome yeah yep yeah i just want to continue to hunt these new habitats that desert is fun the mm-hmm. high country the sage really makes a complete hunter too you yeah. know when you figure out those different habitats but man yeah. muleys are sure fun elk are sure fun we've got a lot of opportunity out west but just can't thank you guys enough for your support of the podcast and that awesome app that you built for me man i just absolutely love that thing so thanks you guys i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having us yeah thank you guys appreciate it all right mm-hmm. have a good rest of the show all right guys that's a wrap Awesome recording, man. That was fun. Uh, fun to have everybody on. Uh, uh, Dylan and Zach and and Brandon, all those guys are so knowledgeable and, and just love to hunt mule deer, at, as I do too. And so the conversation comes real easy with those guys and uh, some really good insight into public land mule deer and finding unpressured areas and, and uh, just just some great tactics in there that, that I know that I use all the time or that I'll... Um, I even picked up a few tidbits that I took notes on on the conversation. So, yeah, just a great one. Thanks again to those guys uh, for coming on the podcast. And, and thanks a bunch to Onyx for their continued support of the podcast. Just means the world to me uh, to be able to bring this podcast to you guys. And then um, Onyx is just such a great program. I, I love using it. It's such a great scouting and hunting tool. Uh, so it's... Um, yeah, it, it means a lot to me. So thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank MAF Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, they've got their four shoots going on this year. Um, they've they've uh, uh, got the 29 North American Pope and Young World Records. Uh, they've got the, the uh, reproductions that you can shoot at. So cool. It's going to be such a great event. And there's nothing that sharpens my skills like 3D shooting. And it it's a good time with buddies to ride up those chairs and then shoot those 3D targets. It really gets me ready for season. So I'm going to make sure I get in at least one of these shoots uh, to make sure I'm ready for season. So make sure to check these guys out. Uh, you can check them out, mountainarcheryfest.com. Uh, again, we've got a, a promo code where you can get 15% off if you sign up. Um, just punch in Elevate15. That'll get you... Uh, a free digital subscription to EBJ and EHJ for a year for the first 2,000 people that register and um, get you that 15% off of the shoot. So thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast as well. And with that, yeah, just trying to get to, to bear hunting and finding these things here. It's early in the season, uh, which makes it a little tough, but they're coming out of some denning spots. I've, I've heard it's pretty good on, on western Montana, in western Montana, so I might make a trip over there. I've got one spot that should be getting pretty good. So I think I got my buddy Dan headed down later this week. So I'll try to get my work done and get a free day or two and go chase those things around. It's going to be a blast. I really want to get that that VXR is just shooting so good. I got so much confidence with it. I'm just ready to go bow hunt. So that'll be fun. 
with that, I, I got that new podcast I started. I, I know I mentioned it in the intro, Eastman's on the Fly. If you're into fly fishing, if you're into fishing, if you have any interest in it, uh, just some great conversations, great episodes in there. This week, I have my buddy Dylan Ness. Uh, it's just an animal on the rivers and in the mountains and um, just catches some giant brown trout. And he's really knowledgeable with streamers. So uh, we go back and forth with streamers and reading water, colors, techniques, tactics, uh, the thrill of catching a big fish. So, uh, really fun conversation. So, make sure to check that out. And with that, man, have a good week. Uh, we're just going to continue to get through. I'm I'm ready to get things back to normal here, huh? Um, gosh, got my applications in everywhere. Hoping I draw some good places, some good mule deer, elk tags. Really looking forward to the fall and. And uh, like I say, really looking forward to getting things back to normal here and getting rolling, as I'm sure you guys are too. I'm just fortunate riding it out in Montana just isn't that bad. Just low populations, um, can still recreate, get to the mountains and run, fish, and still bear hunt. So, I mean, I'm so fortunate. Um, you know, able to pay my bills and um, still make a living. And so um, I just feel for people that aren't and Man, we just got to get through this and get to the other side. So uh, we're getting there. Keep strong, guys. I'll check in with you next week.